evil man who worked for the king, a slave, Nehemiah, had a heart to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, which he heard from his brother was broken down and destroyed. And Jerusalem represents a city of God. So the wall gets built in 52 days. He has opposition from people. People mention to get in this book. People taunting him, trying to kill him, trying to discourage the people. Internal strife. But the wall is built. And then beyond that, people return from Babylon. Upwards of 10% of the people return. About 50,000 people come. The Torah is read by his contemporary Ezra. Reads the entire Torah, a six-hour sermon. And they're all, they're all into it. They're like, yes, this is God's word. The people celebrate. It's a day of celebration because they finally recovered the Torah. They're reading it. The people confess their sin because they realize as they read the Torah, as they read the law of Moses, that they had not kept any of it. And they make a covenant. They make a, a promise, a, a treaty, a contract to say, we will follow the law of Moses. And it includes several things. Keeping the Sabbath, not marrying unbelievers, putting God before idols, giving of tithes and offering. They come into all these things and then people resettle into Jerusalem itself. Even though they had come back into the region, the, the city is still empty. So they bring a bunch of people into the city, some who had willingly decided to go, some were, were <coughs> chosen by lottery. And then in the last chapter, they dedicate the wall to the Lord. And it's a celebration. It's a worship service we talked about. There was singing. There was giving thanks. There was sacrifice. There was love for God. All that was happening. You can think that would be like the end of the story, right? They all lived happily ever after. But chapter 13 tells us a different story because the Bible is not a story. The Bible is an account. It's reality. Because this was supposed to be the prophecy that people believed was that this was going to be where all the people of the earth, not just Jews, but Gentiles would come and worship God in his temple. And we see in the, in the first three verses, which we'll read in just a second, it's the same day. They read about the Moabites and the Ammonites, enemies of God's people, and how to separate from them. And the people do separate from them. So let's read the text. On that day, so the same day as the worship celebration, the chapters of the book were not written at the, at the, were written much later than the scriptures were written. So why they put this in chapter 13, it's beyond me. It, but you'll see how it connects. On that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And in it was found that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. For they did not... They did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. Now before this, Eliashib the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of God, and who was related to Tobiah, enemy of God, 
and me of Nehemiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, oil, which were given by the commandments to the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king. And after some time, I asked leave of the king and came to Jerusalem. And I then discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry, and I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I gave orders, and they cleansed the chambers, and I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his field. So I confronted the officials and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. And I appointed as treasurers over the storehouses Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and Padiah of the Levites. And as their assistant, Hanan the son of Zachor, son of Mataniah, for they were considered reliable. And their duty was to distribute to their brothers. Remember me, O oh my God, concerning this. And do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his servants. In those days, I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also, who lived in the city, brought all fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I warned them and said to them, Why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, O oh my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. And in those days, I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And this is the good part. And they, I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. And I made them take a note in the name of God, saying, 
you shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations, there was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God. And God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made even him to sin. Shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? And one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was the son-in-law of Sanballat the Horonite, another bad guy, the guy in chapter 1 and 2. Therefore I chased him from me. From me. Remember them, O oh my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I cleanse them from everything foreign, and I establish the duties of the priests and Levites, each in his work, and I provided for the wood offering at the appointed times and for the first, first fruits. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. So it doesn't end the way we think. My big idea is this, that only Jesus can bring lasting transformation. Only Jesus can bring lasting transformation. So in the first part, my first point is that Nehemiah tries to reform the church. Right, The seeds of failure had already started because Eliashib was already having conversations with Tobiah before Nehemiah left. Right, Because he went back to, the, to, to Babylon, back to Persia, back to Susa, to spend some time with the king. I'm sure his, his service was not forever to be there. So commentators and scholars say probably between seven and twelve years he was gone, right? Probably to fulfill his duties to the king. And he's an older man at this point. He's probably in his fifties or sixties, right? So maybe after that time he wanted to come back, resettle it in Jerusalem to his people, possibly retire there. But when he comes back, things are not great. Because after, during that time, Elijah gets Tobiah. Not only not, we're not supposed to separate, which he was a Moabite, right? Tobiah. But he put him in the temple, in God's house itself. This enemy of God's people who mocked him, who made fun of him, who tried to kill him, who hated the wall being built. Now he gets a place at the temple because of some in-law relationship. They put the vessels, the holy things of God, and all the and the food that was for the, the Levites, that's all gone. So he sees that Eliashib chose to buy it and defiles God's house. Sorry, it was an Ammonite. He's an Ammonite, not a Moabite. Living there and removing contributions. So he's angry. He's angry because this guy was a bad dude, and this is God's house, and he had made all these reforms. He threw his stuff out and restored the rooms. This is the reason why we don't marry unbelievers. Right? Because of that relationship, some sort of relationship between Eliashib, the high priest, and a, a Jewish person. It doesn't say exactly what the relationship, some in-law relationship. He gets a special place in the house of God, which is defiling. Right? You make compromises for your family, right? But if you don't marry somebody who loves Jesus, you're going to be making compromises that compromise your faith. 
And these changes, remember, just a few chapters ago, they were covenanting with God, saying, yes, we will do this. They don't run very deep, right? Because Nehemiah walks off the scene and everything goes back to the way it was prior. It seems like Nehemiah is the only guy who seems to care about God's word and God's truth. And he was angry. And he turned that anger into action. Right? Anger is an emotion that we feel. Sometimes anger can lead us to sin, but it can also lead us to godly actions. Now, the problem with anger is that we're usually angry because of our honor being offended, right? Or our situation not going the way we want it to. That's not godly anger, right? That's anger because somebody hurt me, or I was offended, or I was upset for myself. But Nehemiah had a, had a godly anger. He wanted to restore things back to the way they were when he was in charge. And he turned that into action. As we see from Nehemiah and his character, he's not a guy who's just sit around and contemplate things. He's like, get his furniture, throw it out, cleanse this place, let's burn the furniture for good measure, right? Just to make sure that this doesn't happen anymore. That's the kind of guy Nehemiah is. And my question is, are we angry for ourselves or for God? Are we angry when things don't, when God's honor is compromised. When people make fun of God or of Jesus or of Christians. Or just you're angry when you know you don't like the way your wife speaks to you or your kids do something to make you angry. There is a difference. God designed anger. It's emotion that we feel that he feels. It's designed to motivate us to change. I'm often angry at myself because of things that I want to change and they're hard to change. But it's highly motivating. Right? And Jesus, don't think the, I don't think in this section Nehemiah is sinning by being angry. Because Jesus also got angry with the money changers in the temple and drove them out with a whip. Right? So I think this is a godly anger he's feeling. And we need to restore ourselves what is broken in our lives. Right? The temple, that was a broken thing. And we need to look inward. And maybe have some anger about what is broken in my life. What is what is not fixed? What is not holy to God? Amen? So, he tries to reform the church. Then he tries to reform the church finances. Right? So, if you look at the last several chapters, it says many times, probably a dozen times, that it's important that the singers, the Levite singers, and the gatekeepers get paid a portion so they can survive doing God's work in that way. Yet after Nehemiah left, it says they were not paid and they went back to farming. It says they fled. Right? They were either starving or they said, you can go back to your farms because we're not going to pay you or we can, we can kill you on the spot. And they fled back to their, their farming lifestyles. So he confronts those officials like, what are you doing? They, obviously, they have no answer to give him. Like, I don't know. It just kind of happened this way. Right? You know, leaders like that who are just, just not leaders at all, but they shouldn't be there. They have no answer for you. They gave no answer to Nehemiah. So he goes in. He says, okay, we're going to start this right now. We're going to tie. We're going to give our contributions. We're going to put it in the storehouses where Tobiah was living, and we're going to distribute them to these people so they can do the work of God. And he also, he, he has reliable men. 
right? That he can trust to give the distributions, right? Somebody's distributing money or grain or, or high value items, you need somebody you can trust so they don't take it for themselves. And then he journals in verse 14 and prays to God to have mercy on him in spite of people failing. This is like a, it, the, the story is partially told from Nehemiah's perspective, like in this chapter. And he's, he's, he's journaling to God saying, God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on these people. And don't let this blot out the work that I've tried to do. So this is a second covenant promise broken that Nehemiah tries to bring back. What do you think will happen if he dies or if he gets sick or if he's not, he has to go back to Susa? Things will collapse. They will collapse. And he's finding that, you know, he is, they were able to build the wall in 52 days, but rebuilding people, changing people, is much more complicated and difficult, as Nehemiah is realizing. He tries. I mean, he tries hard. He is bringing reforms in, and that is no spot on Nehemiah. But Nehemiah cannot change the heart of the people. He can't change their hearts. And you also see in this chapter that the value of people that you trust. He had them make sure the distributions were given. And my question for you is, who do you trust? You have people in your life that you can trust completely? Especially in this land where we're, we're removed from maybe many of our family members or all of them. You need to find a way to find people you can trust. And trust is built slowly. And it takes time and energy and effort. But it is far worth it. In this land where you're far from many, many family members, you need to have men and women that you can trust that have your back. Or you will not last long here. And it takes, you have to put in the work. And I strongly suggest, the, the reason we do the first Fridays is not only just for fun and to have a meal, but to, to kind of build this relationship among this family. Amen? To build this relationship and find people here who love Jesus whom you can trust. But it, it is completely worth it. So, and the third thing he tries to do, so he tries to reform the finances. He tries to reform the, the, the church. Third, he tries to reform rest, right? The, the third thing they covenanted specifically was to keep the Sabbath, right? Nehemiah comes back, and people are working on the Sabbath. They're treading wine presses. They're distributing. They're buying. They're selling. It becomes a normal day again. Right, bringing in goods all to sell, and he's like, if you look at the exclamation point, like probably the only exclamation exclamation point in this book, is in Jerusalem itself. This is God's city, the city of God, and he tells them that the reason we're enslaved right now is because of this, because of us breaking the Sabbath for a thousand years, and now you're going to do it again after me being gone for ten years. He's trying to get them to understand like what the problem here. So he gets in charge. He's a great leader. He's like, we're shutting these doors. We're going to bring in servants. You're going to guard against sellers and buyers. And then there's people who are like, we'll just wait until wait through the seven maybe we can get in some selling and buying again. They're waiting outside the doors. And Nehemiah is not happy with that. He says, Here's your one chance to walk away quietly. Next time, I'm going to lay hands on you. Okay? 
That is not a loving gesture that he's doing, right? Because Nehemiah's got his own friends. They'll go down there. And so they leave. They make the wise choice. He also sets Levites to guard the gate because now they're installed. They're working there in Jerusalem again. So you need to set guards and close these gates during the Sabbath. Sundown to sundown. If you've ever been to Israel, that's how they do it. Sundown to sundown. And then he, again, he journals. He asks God for his work not to be blotted out, to have mercy on him. According to his steadfast love, the chesed love of God, which is never-ending, always-going, never-giving-up kind of love. So we see Nehemiah's anger and his action again. They disobeyed the covenants. They made it about the Sabbath. And Nehemiah sees it and makes immediate changes. Right? He confronts the leaders who did nothing. They just let this happen. These are not great leaders. And this is important, that if you are leading people or seeing people, especially Christians, inside the church, behaving like this, sinning, we have, we have a responsibility in love to confront people. If Christians, now this is a hard word, okay? I'm not saying we're supposed to point out every evil and sin, but if you see a pattern of sin in a brother or sister's life as a Christian, you need to lovingly and kindly point that out. That's how we grow. Because we are blind to our own blindness, right? I can easily see my wife's sin or other people's sins, but it's so hard to see my own. So bringing that up, of course, how you bring it up matters. Whereas it doesn't turn to an argument, but it turns to a chance of repentance and growth. But I want to encourage you, if you see a pattern of sin, that you might say, hey, look, I noticed this. What's going on here? How can I pray for you? How can I help you? But we need to say, you know, this is not representing Jesus well. Because that's the whole problem with, with one of the problems with Christianity is that we see Christians not living like that. And in other religions, like here, you know, many of my students think, oh, Christianity is, is bikinis and, and MTV. Like, that is not what it is, but that's what many people do. They think that's Christianity. We, need to, we, need to, we do need to lovingly confront people. And again, he has trusted servants, right, that take these important tasks to close the gates. We can't just trust anybody. We need to use wisdom. That's why building trust is important. So you know people that you can rely on that have your back. And again, journaling. I think journaling is a great way to reach out and pray to God. Right? He asks and he journals for God's kindness and the failure of his people. It's valuable for processing. There's a lot. To, I mean, Nehemiah is processing a lot. He left thinking things are fantastic. Right? And he goes back and is like, things are just the way they were before. Right? What did that do to his mind? So he's processing through journaling. And there's many things in our lives that we need more time to process than we give. We think, go forward. But no, processing, praying, reaching out to God, that is valuable. And finally, Nehemiah tries to reform marriage. He sees, just in the same chapter, so it's about separating from the Moabites and the Ammonites, 
He sees them, they're marrying non-believers, and as God said, the reason you don't do this is that your children will not know the language and the people and the God of the Bible. And that's exactly what happens here. Half of these kids don't know the, the language of, of Judah. They don't, know, they don't know the language. They don't know Hebrew. And how can you read the Torah, especially in those days, if you don't have a copy of the Hebrew Bible? So he is way less diplomatic. And I'm not here to defend Nehemiah. Nehemiah is imperfect too. We can make, make your own judgment. But he does. He curses them. He beats them. He pulls out the air. Probably because he's, he's just been just fed up. Like, man, we just, we've talked about this so much, guys, separating from unbelievers. And you're doing this. And your kids are, paying the, the, are taking the brunt of this. Because they now no, long, no longer know God. He makes them take an oath. He gives an example of Solomon sinning, right? Same thing. He had 800 wives and concubines. The, the wisest king who ever lived. Yet because of his sin, following other gods, it split the kingdom in the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, doing much damage to the people of God. And he calls it what it is. This is evil. Right? This is not an alternative perspective, or this is not diversity. This is wrong, because God's word says you cannot marry people in those days who are not part of the covenant people of God. So God's rules are for the best. And I've beat on this before. I'm not going to beat it. But if you are not married, make sure, number one priority is you marry a believer. For the sake of your marriage and the sake of your children. Because you're going to have lots of battles. If they don't believe the same God as you, about how are you going to raise them? In the faith or not in the faith? And I'm not going to justify Nehemiah's behavior. And we all feel this way. Man, I just want to grab people sometimes and be like, you are going the wrong way. Right? Change. Do this right. For your own sake. I've done, many times I've not done this. I've thought this. Okay? So, i got that going for me. It's like, you know, your kids. My kids, oh, I love them so much, but I was like shooting daggers at him. He was trying to crawl up at me during the announcements. It's like, ah! Why are you doing this right now? We had, I've been the pastor for two years, and the one week my wife's away, this happens. We want to change people, usually for their own good, right? However, we can influence behavior. We can influence behavior, but we cannot change the heart. Right? And finally, we see that he chased Sambalat's son-in-law, right? Because Elisha has some other deal with him. Another bad dude, he just runs after me because he knew. Sanballat knew I'm, it's not going to end well for me. So he chases him out, removes unbelieving foreigners, establishes a political job like a woodcutting, and makes sure that things are back to normal. <coughs> but in conclusion, we're doing time here. All that the people covenanted to do fell apart when Nehemiah left. They married foreign women. They broke the Sabbath. They did not give to the Levites or tithe. Nehemiah loved God and he tried to fix it, but he couldn't change the heart. And weakness, the weakness of the law of Moses is our hearts. Is our hearts. We can, we can push it. We can try really hard like these people did. They tried pretty hard to obey, but their hearts were changed. And we need heart change, and only Jesus Christ can do that. He lived a perfect life. 
He came down to earth. God in the flesh came to earth, lived a perfect life that we could not live. He kept the law perfectly. And then he died in our place for our sins. On the, he chose to go to the cross. He suffered the penalty for all sin. My sin, your sin, all of you who have ever believed in Jesus, their sin was put on Jesus. And that was that wrath of God for sin was so intense that he eventually killed him. But on the third day, he rose again from death. And then those who believe, your heart is changed. Right? It says in Ezekiel, a prophetic verse, it says that I will change your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And that's what Jesus did. So when we believe in Jesus, we, our hearts are changed. Now, we're not instantly perfect. There are battles that need to be waged. But we have a desire and a heart to obey Jesus. We can then keep God's rules because our hearts are changed, are permeated by Jesus, lives inside of us. That's why Jesus is a better Nehemiah, right? Nehemiah built a physical wall to protect against physical enemies and try to force obedience on the people. However, Jesus builds a spiritual wall around us and protects us. For those who believe, you are protected for the rest of your life. For the rest of your life. And that wall will not be broken down. It will not be destroyed. No enemy can breach the wall of Christ. And he gives us true power. Nehemiah tried to force it, tried to make them. Jesus gives us power in our hearts to want to change. He empowers us to change. Amen? That is what it means to be a believer. Let's pray. Stand up on our feet. Dan, if you can come up. God, I thank you so much for this time that we have. I thank you for the great book of Nehemiah. We saw a man who is committed to God, who loves you, Jesus, who puts you first. But Nehemiah, I'm sure, knew when he came back after 10 years that he could not change other people. But Jesus, we know that you, looking back, we know that Nehemiah is a lesser version of Jesus. Jesus came not to force obedience, but to allow us to obey, to empower us to love him, to keep his commandments out of a heart that desires you above everything else, Lord. Yes, there's battles in my hearts. There's a battle in my heart for truth and righteousness and, and justice. I want to serve myself. But there is a greater part, and that's growing, that wants to obey and serve and love you, Jesus. So God, bless each one of us here. If those people do not know you, Jesus, I pray that you would allow them, speak to their hearts, allow them to know you. As we enter into a time of communion, let us reflect on what it costs to have you in our hearts, to have you forever, to have eternal life with you, Jesus. We ask for us in your great name. Amen.